Thank you for listening to Room 9, my daddy's podcast. Hope you enjoy. If you would like to help Room 9, please visit their support page. You can listen to Room 9 on your favorite podcast listening platform. Don't forget to visit our Instagram and Facebook page. Please like it. Room 9, if you better yourself, you better the world. Hello, hello, hello. It is Monday and it is time for another episode of Room 9. I am actually super pumped about this episode because I sit down with, I don't know this as 100% fact, but I'm pretty sure this guest has been on here more than anybody else, Matthew Oliver. And I just want to say I have so much respect for this dude for coming on here and being willing to be 100% open and talking about his struggles and slip-ups over the last little bit here. And I honestly, I've been thinking about it. I don't know if I would be able to do it if I was the one who slipped up. It would be tough for me to come on a show and just talk about it. So I give him a lot of credit and it's awesome. And I really hope people listen to this who are in recovery and pay attention and just identify with what you can and take away what you can take away because this is really an important part of the process of finding a balance between not caring enough if you slip up and caring too much if you slip up. And I think it's a very important piece of our recovery to really pay attention to ourselves and really learn the things that what we are doing, if they're being honest, they're not. And it's just a great, it's a great episode. I'm going to let it just speak for itself. And I'm very grateful to call this dude my friend. And I'm thankful that he was so willing to be open and vulnerable. Because as I always say, that takes the most courage and the most bravery to come on and just be open and honest and authentic about your mistakes. So without further ado, episode 57 of Room 9 with Matthew Oliver. Oliver. I'm trying to think, when's the last time we sat down and chatted, buddy? Oh my goodness. It was November. I was actually looking at um, I was looking at Room 9's YouTube. Christine would have been out of town yeah. when you came to the house over there. Yeah. So, so that was Martin Luther King. Was Ma- Martin Luther King weekend. Well, there you go. There, so yeah, that's right. She was in Florida. Yeah, so I and I had listened to that one only just recently. I'd listened to most of it, but then I listened to it like the whole thing. And it was uh it was almost prophetic because <laughs> we're describing some of the behaviors that uh, anyway ultimately led to what we're going to talk about. Yeah. So you've had some interesting times over the last, how many, since we've done that since January. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, we've had a lot of uh, fun things that have happened and then some disastrous things. I, well, I guess you could say potentially disastrous things because uh, I had about a two week relapse that wasn't... Fortunately, it wasn't my drug of choice, but it was benzos, which are dangerous, as I'm sure you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was never my thing, but yes, I do know. That's the funny thing is it was never my thing either. And so because I have like the sublocade as like a rider, it just like sits there in your fat cells or whatever. It made the whole relapse like that much more dangerous because that 
as I'm sure most people know, or if you don't know, you can look it up. It combines efforts essentially with the suboxone and it makes it so your respiratory system is like extremely distressed. So the story, I guess, is there was about a two week period about five weeks ago, I think now, where I had some pretty heavy benzo use leading up to like a really bad Friday where I was like off of work all day, ended up buying a bunch and thinking like, okay, I'll sell most of them and take some of them and ended up like eating most of them and selling almost none of them, <laughs> which is, I don't know. I we think, all know that story way too well. Yeah. And and that's kind of like the, the insidiousness of, of the problem is like in the back of my mind, I was like, well, it would be a red flag if $180 just came up missing so let's mm-hmm. make it so I break even and, and just have a nice day to chill on the couch. And it, it turned into a real disastrous shit show real quickly. So I lost uh, my living situation, changed drastically, uh, lost a relationship that was pretty important to me. However, we're still friends, so like we're, we're working on things. But more importantly, I think it showed uh, Horizon and my therapist, Aaron, a side where we're able to like start looking into mental health disorders, which is something that I've like always completely avoided mm-hmm. because of a stigma, which it's funny that like an addict would have a stigma against mental health. No, I feel like that probably happens more than any of us even know that you're still like I always think about me when I was in the middle of my use like dead in it and I was still watching lectures on you know improving your individuality on becoming a better person whatever that means we can hold these crazy dichotomies like there no other especially when you're in the midst of an addiction yeah absolutely and that's I guess that's a good way to look at it so in 2013 I guess that would be when I would like say I started like secular treatment like medically assisted treatment and even then like in the very beginning as far as I remember it a lot of my counselors there and even like for a while I was with I had been there for a while so there were no counselors that wanted me on their caseload essentially because I had gone through all of everything that they offered so the head of like the supervisor of um, the site there at Chicasa and Albion t- just took me on to counsel me. And she was like, Matt, you really just need to go and get a mental health assessment. And at the time, like they didn't have it offered at the same spot like Horizon does, which is mm-hmm. an amazing convenience, to be totally honest with you. When was this? This when? was back in like 2013. Okay. Maybe 2014, 2015. Because I was there on Suboxone for like three and a half years. And then for another solid year, I was on just Suboxone with a provider. So I had, you know, quite some time of like stability and building my life prior to a pretty hefty relapse before going into Terrace House. But anyway, they always said like, you need to get checked out for mental health. And I always knew that there were like red flags where like, not not like the kind of crazy where you're like hearing voices and see like even that, like apparently you're not even supposed to like call it craziness anymore. You know, it's... Yeah, there's a lot of... Anyway, what to and what not to. Right. I'm not I'm not trying to discriminate against anyone, but anyway, it's it's more like that everyday kind of thing where you forget things that you shouldn't and maybe think about death a little too much. Anyway, those like minor what I consider to be minor red flags, I kind of was like, okay, my major problem right now is obviously addiction. Everyone in my life sees it and I, you know, even I obviously see it and know that that's my issue. So I put it off, put it off, put it off, and ultimately what ends up happening is when I slide into states of like very deep depression, I end up using to self-medicate mm-hmm. a, a deep depression. That's where, uh, fortunately, 
this relapse kind of showed Aaron like, wow, this is like some extreme risk taking behavior where like knowing that Megan is going to be coming home at like six o'clock, you went at nine o'clock in the morning and, you know, got a bunch of benzos and just ate them throughout the day. Like the mat that she had seen, you know, and she's been my counselor, I don't know how long, but for a while would never have done that, you know? So it's like, okay, there's definitely some things that are like bigger than just my own like self-control. So fortunately her seeing that, uh, we were able to, you know, set up with Horizon a, a mental health assessment and go through all that. Yeah. So, so obviously for people who don't know, obviously Horizon is a mental health and substance use provider in Western New York. Right. What I'm kind of curious about too is like, what was your mental state around those two weeks or maybe even like kind of leading up to those two weeks? Yeah. So I would say it was probably worse than what, what my personal assessment was of the situation. So it was just depression and increasing depression. So I think was like passively diagnosed, if you want to call it that, with like seasonal affect disorder, because a lot of times I can trace my depressive states to like winter and mm-hmm. You know, lack of sunlight and then like my hypomanic states during like summer, definitely. And, you know, spring and then fall, I'll start to like level off. And I would say I'm usually my most normal during the fall because I'm not like trying to be that overachiever. But at the same time, I'm not like can't barely get out of bed to go to Mm -hmm. work. So leading up to that time, I had started a job working on like a solar project in Buffalo. It was outdoors in the winter and it wasn't a lot of hours. So I had a lot of stress just as far as like not getting a ton of hours. You know, I got to pay my bills ultimately. And then just the cold like affects me in a weird way. And I was just very, very depressed. And Megan had said, like, I obviously blacked out completely, probably Friday by like one o'clock in the afternoon. And that scares the hell out of me because I typically don't. Like if Mm -hmm. you're doing heroin, you don't black out usually. You usually know your limit. And anyway, so... I mean, nodding out and blacking out are two totally different things. Yeah. People are wondering. Yeah, obviously. So... Anyway, I was in just a complete blackout. Megan had said that when she, when I finally like had come clean, if you will, she asked me, and I don't remember this, but she asked me like, why, you know, why would you go and get high? And I told her, I was like, I'm depressed. And so I think that like in that moment of just being completely blacked out was like a moment of truth coming through. And I think we talked about it on the podcast, like our agreement was like, if I have a relapse, it's over, Mm -hmm. which, you know, sounds cut and dry and it is and i think there were some serious consequences this relapse that, yeah i mean you're out of the house right like we're still friends we still talk but there's no like romantic involvement anymore so like other than that fortunately my life and i think because i was able to turn it around because of that situation my life has surprisingly quickly gotten back to a place where i feel relatively stable and And I feel like I'm on a path that maybe I should have been on two years ago coming out of like a year and a half ago, I guess, coming out of um, Horizon Village. So I think I took some like really (laughs) extreme shortcuts coming out of Horizon Village and just established some bad habits. So I think over the next year or so, ultimately, obviously, I'd like to get back to Buffalo because that's where I work and living in Medina with my parents is not ideal. Mm -hmm. But it's good because it provides me a time where I can recoup, recover. Just do you. Rebuild, yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, it's necessary. And I feel like that would be tough if you were 
at Megan's because this is her first time ever dealing with something like this. So she would be like crazy paranoid every time you left the house. Yeah. You know, and I think it's time for it's like a good time for her to grow and maybe get used to some things. And then obviously you to do your thing to get back to where you want to be and need to be. Yeah. And heading in that direction. Yeah. And I, I have to I've got to give her credit because like there has been so much that she's done right through this whole relapse where it takes a lot of strength on that individual to not to like walk that fine line between okay here's my boundaries and I'm going to stick with them and not like Oxford House throwing you out on the street after you've used mm-hmm. you know what I mean like there's a fine line and I get that it's hard to walk um, but I got to give her credit as far as like handling the situation knowing how little quote unquote she should know there's a lot of work that her and I have both put in over the doing. time that we've known each other so anyway all that aside If we get back to the mental health aspect of it, Sam, who is one of the providers at Horizon, I think has come to, we've come to an understanding and started like trying to treat what I think is bipolar two disorder, where you have states of hypomania, which hypomania is slightly lower than mania. It sounds backwards, but that's how it's set up. Mm -hmm. So hypomania is where you don't necessarily, like if you were manic, I would think that you're recording me so that you can send this information to the government kind of thoughts, (laughs) like those extreme and like hallucinations are even part of um, bipolar one Um, but I don't typically experience any of that for me it manifests itself as like just complete overachievement risk-taking behavior is usually like off the charts as far as like speeding and just thinking I can get away with anything that would be my like this is when I'm in hypo uh, in a hypomanic state and then alternating between that and depression seasonally it seems like for me I don't know if that's the case but so medicating for that is kind of the path that I'm going down and I think that this is maybe the last like piece of the the recovery puzzle for me because it's something that I've avoided the mental health stuff yeah the mental health stuff I've just avoided completely so I think if I can get this under control which from what I've read and what I've heard from people it's like anywhere from six months to a year to kind of to find a therapeutic level of medication Mm -hmm. and to find the right medication because there's all kinds out there so it's been a a wild ride it is well i always think i mean even the term mental health is bizarre sometimes because obviously just like everybody has a physiological state of health we all have a mental state of health automatically like that's kind of when i say mental health we all have that where there's a spectrum of it of our physiological health and then of our psychological health and we're kind of go you know back and forth wherever we're all somewhere on that spectrum every living human being has it Mm -hmm. so i think immediately like even with stigma and stuff when people say oh what mental health mental health we all have a state of mental health and how we take care of it we either do or we don't look into it get better at it take care of it just like our physical health so we all have that so i always say my point bringing this up is i always say some kind of mental health struggle or challenge or whatever you want to call it has led people to a substance use issue hmm whether it's a lack of, I just don't love myself, you know, I don't feel connected, I hate myself, I'm going to escape, or it's something where it's, you know, bipolar, or somebody's, you know, struggling with schizophrenia, whatever it is, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I always say that, I've always felt like it's always a mental health challenge 
or struggle that is driving somebody to escape. I also always say that everybody is using some form of escapism to escape something in their life, whether it's shopping, Netflix, eating, or drugs. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. drugs take you down to shitter real effing quick because you're talking money, you're talking now physiological aspects of it, dependency, and all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah, and I think the other thing that that comes around to is what you're dealing with is uh, symptoms that are actual behaviors. And now you're looking at, and this is, I guess, a perspective of someone looking at someone who is in addiction. Why is this person doing this to me? Right. So you have these behaviors that are actually symptoms of what you just talked about, the mental, whatever your mental state is that you were trying to use that escapism for. Like, for example, before I relapsed, before coming to Terrace House, A few years ago, I was in a deep state of depression. I could not get out of bed to go to work, which was completely unlike me um, because my, you know, at that time, my career had just apexed. Like I was at the best place I could have could have been in my life. And I literally would lay in bed all day, all night watching Netflix and just eating massive amounts of snacks and sweets. Yeah, I hadn't relapsed on heroin yet, but I was definitely exhibiting some extremely alarming yeah, pointing towards it. Exactly. So some alarming behaviors. And Megan has said like multiple times, like I can't believe no one caught this prior to now. And it sounds obvious now looking back and you know hindsight's 2020, but if nothing else comes out of this whole situation with me and Megan then it gets me on the right path to treating the last piece of my recovery puzzle, if you will, then I think it's been a successful relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just something that I've learned over the years. Drugs will help. There's obviously better ways, but drugs do treat my depression and they get me to a place where I can be quote unquote functional. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's a great way to look at it too. You know, like no matter what happens from here, it's like you found that other piece. And I've always talked about, you know, relapse as being just that. You figure out something, you slip up, you screw up, you start. It's not even starting over. I don't want to say start over. You do it again. You find another piece of the puzzle. You put it together. Okay. What did I miss? You slip up again. What did I miss this time? And you keep doing that until you freaking get it. And that's why I always kind of encourage people to keep just whatever. Don't put your head down. Don't hate yourself just go back and do it again keep fighting keep learning keep your eyes open so for instance your case you could have went from megan kicked you out you're done and now fuck it i'm not i don't care anymore i've ruined my whole life poor me this sucks i have mental health problems i don't know about i got dealt a bad hand so i'm just gonna keep using drugs and you could you could still be out there you know shitting your life away Mm could have lost your job you know your parents could have forced you to go back to rehab kicked you out if it kept getting worse i mean there's so many other things but because you kind of took that attitude of all right i'm gonna figure this out what do i gotta learn this time like it's awesome to see how good you're doing at this point compared to just a few weeks ago yeah definitely and there was and you know you and i talked probably quite soon after the relapse because at that point i think it was like a monday or yeah like that sunday afterwards was still kind of a blur but then that following monday you know friday was the day to use and then saturday it was like still in a fog and still like half knowing what I was doing half not Sunday I was still kind of in a blur but like realized okay if I'm going to make any of this work I got to get back to work on Monday Mm -hmm. like I can't 
wallow in this. And so that's when I started just reaching out to people in my life who I knew would be sober supports. And the fact that I have a great network of sober supports means nothing if I'm not reaching out to them. So if instead of reaching for some drug or passively, if you will, I guess it wasn't really passively, but actively seeking drugs, if I had been actively seeking the help of people around me who want to help me, I probably could have made this discovery, you know, without a relapse. However, that's not what happened. And that's where you have to acknowledge, okay, yes, this is bad, but it's not something that I can go back and change. If I could, I would, right? Obviously, mm -hmm. but I can't. So now the literally the only thing to do is to pick up whatever pieces I have left and, and move forward. And that's where getting help from the people around me who want to help me is paramount because without that, like you can't do it alone. Obviously that's maybe a too much of a, um, anyway, everyone knows that about addiction, right? You can't fix it alone. No. And I think that was an awesome point you brought up too. Like how many people who go are in recovery have probably hundreds of people everywhere say, dude, just give me a call. If you need anything, give me a call. And it, but it's up to us ultimately to make that call. Right. To, I mean, to say, hey, I'm struggling. Hey, I, I need this. And I mean, that's something to this day I still struggle with. Even if, you know, if I start getting feeling in a negative mindset or something, it takes a lot for me. And a lot of it, obviously, for me is pride. But just to be like, eh, I'm struggling. You yeah. know, and it's it, because it takes a lot to do that. I don't know. I think there's so much of us want to just act like, all right, we got this. I don't need anybody's help. I got this. And right. It can be challenging at times to just be like, I'm struggling. Well, and I think part of part of recovery is becoming self-reliant and self-sufficient. So it's mm. easy to think, OK, I have to be self-reliant and self-sufficient. I don't need anyone. Right. So you can get those ideas mixed up quite easily. And I think we all do like. There's a difference between me having a job and keeping a job and making my own money and feeding myself. That's self-reliance. Me making myself an island, that's pride. And that's what mm. stops me from reaching out to you. And we all have it. We've all got, you know, some sort of ego, whether it's, you know, a little bruised and beaten down right now, it's still there and it, it can still rise up. So again, there's another like fine line that you have to walk in recovery of like, okay, when do I need to reach out to someone? And when am I creating a codependent relationship with someone where I'm literally just depending on them to pay my bills? You know what I mean? So obviously there's a lot there and I, I get that that was kind of a dense point that I made, but <laughs> yeah. So no, well, it goes back to balance. Right. Everything. Balance and everything. When I was at Horizon Village, the long-term treatment facility in Sanborn, New York, I always said the B word. Yeah. It sounds I like the B that. word. Like I, I had, And I had like the counselors who were running the groups end up saying that because it really comes down to that. And we have up here, like the next point we wanted to talk about was that, that balance of when you slip up of not minimizing it too much, but not putting too much emphasis on it either. And like what we were talking about was just that, like we had that episode back in January where we talked about if somebody slips up, take it easy. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. Don't hate on yourself because how many people have we known, Matthew, that have slipped up maybe even just a few drinks in an mm -hmm. Oxford house, got kicked out and went right back at it hardcore because mm -hmm. they felt so shitty about what happened. So many people. Yeah. And so I always put that emphasis on it. Like, don't be too hard on yourself. It's okay. What can you learn from it? But then there's that other extreme where you don't put enough weight on it and now you got away with something and it's like, all right, 
I didn't get fully caught up in it, so I can keep doing it. And yeah, it just it is. It always comes back to that balance. And unfortunately, everything else in life, there is no like written statement. If you do this, this and that, you've gone too far. If you do this, this and that, you haven't gone far enough. Mm -hmm. And there's just different for everybody. So it all comes down to each individual learning and figuring out how to be completely 100% honest with themselves. Yeah. And that's another uh, really good point. Out of this relapse, I've kind of made a commitment just personally to myself and to people in my life who are important to me of being more honest. And I found that it starts with being honest with myself because what may be okay for me is not going to be okay necessarily for you mm -hmm. and vice versa. So I have lived a lifestyle of lying. And especially in my addiction and then especially as a child, um, you know, lying to ensure that I don't get punished, essentially. And then in my addiction, obviously lying because I'm daily committing crimes, mm -hmm. theoretically speaking. <laughs> I'm not, crimes I'm not, in quotes. Right. I'm not going to admit anything. But anyway, so that's a, a huge thing that's come out of this is making a commitment to myself to be honest with myself, to be honest with my counselors, because they all are there to help me and they want to help me. But if I'm lying to them, if I'm, you know, going in yeah. there and, and just telling them what they want to hear, which I'm famous for that in my own mind, obviously. So many of us are. Yes. Right. Like just, okay, I, I just got to get through this 45 minute appointment, just tell them what they want to hear so I can get out of here and not really getting any help out of it. Like, yeah, it's great that you're still there and you're surrounded by people who ultimately will help you when something happens like what happened to me. If I continue to do that, if I just go right back to like, okay, let me get out of this 45 minute appointment and go about my day, I'm just going to be right back here in six months, a year, mm -hmm. you know? So being honest with literally everyone in my life, and obviously you can't fix everything all at once and I don't think you need to, but that's like priority one for me personally is just like, stop exaggerating the truth stop with the white lies whatever you want to call it fibs whatever just be true to yourself be real and if people don't accept that then they don't accept that mm -hmm. what's what's the harm in that like there's millions billions of people in the world who probably wouldn't accept me but there's a small circle of people that do and really just want to know who i am for who i am not because of what i've done or you know a lot of times we identify with like i am what i've done or i am yes we do and that's a whole obviously another their couple episodes oh yeah but no it does it, it it's it's bizarre in some some cases anyway where we only identify with what we've done the shitty things that we've done right like we don't identify ourselves with the past awesome things that i've done mm -hmm. you know all the time it's always those negative things for me and this is something i have almost as part of like my mission statement of what i want to do is just to get people to look at those things that they have screwed up on, the mistakes they have made, and look at them as if they are amazingly awesome teachers. Because when you start doing that, it's like something that seems so stupid and meaningless and pointless, and you start learning from things, it becomes this most beautiful, amazing, awesome thing. And when you can do that, what blocks it blocks us from doing that is self-pity and feeling sorry for ourselves and feeling like, oh, I'm a piece of shit. I'm no good. Nobody loves me. You, once you get into that, you can't learn anything. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes this pointless, stupid, shitty thing that happened to you. But if you can learn from it, grow from it, better yourself. Oh, okay. I was missing this the last time when I was in, getting clean. Now I can add this to my life. Now I'm better for it. So this whole, like you just said, the whole relationship with Megan wasn't pointless no matter what happens from here on out because you were able to address some 
something new that's going to help you be better, to help you stop, you know, running and escaping with drugs or whatever it is that mm-hmm. you're struggling with. And that's what I always want to like tell people and teach them. This is what it's about. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's very simple, but it's not easy at all because over time, let's go back to like childhood, right? You're developing in your brain electrical signals that are going through and pathways that are now like set in your mind and they've become subconscious ideas. Mm -hmm. So subconscious ideas are just literally running in the background constantly. You probably don't even know. That's why they're called subconscious, right? So in order to change those, you really have to have insight. And that's really hard to develop. But fortunately, over years of counseling, I've developed insight into, okay, these are my core issues. And this past experience, although it was probably one of the worst experiences in my life as far as like personal pain and feeling that pain, there have been things that have come out of it that I needed to learn. Mm -hmm. Like you just said, if you can look at those experiences as, okay, this is a teaching moment, then all of a sudden you realize, okay, my entire subconscious being could potentially be changed given enough time and given enough effort. And once you realize that, there's really no limit to what your mind can accomplish. No, not at all. I just did a little like seven minute video on that about this is exactly how I became a positive thinker in my life was just through repetition and attention and giving it weight and importance. Mm-hmm. And just that's what it takes. Like you said, something negative could have happened to you and you had a bad experience from it. So if you have any kind of similar experience now that you're older, your mind is automatically is conditioned to pull up negative experience and negative thinking, whatever it is. And it's simple, but not easy. As you said, if you, it, all it takes is repetition of doing something over and over again in a positive realm to replace a negative one. Yeah. And it's, again, it's a very simple thing. It doesn't seem like it should be that simple, but it is. But it is hard because you've had 30 something years right. of conditioning to do it this way. And yeah. to change that can be a very big challenge. Yeah, definitely. And I think one other thing, I don't know how much time we have left, but one other thing that I kind of have been learning myself is the learning aspect of addiction and how you can learn from not only your own experiences, but then learning from others' experiences. So I don't have to necessarily, and I I mean, I know myself enough to know that typically I do have to experience something for myself Mm -hmm. to learn from it. But theoretically, if everything that we've said is true, I can change that about myself too. So the book that I'm reading, Unbroken Brain, which is a great book, I'm not even close to done with it, but it's one that I would recommend, like, anyone read. What's the author's name? What's her name? Uh, Maya Salvitz. I'm yeah, probably something butchering like that. The, yeah, the I know. Me too. But, yeah, it's a great read. It's really dense. It's really, there's a lot of great ideas. There's tons of research that she did on framing addiction as a disease more like ADHD or autism, where we talked about there's a spectrum. Mm -hmm. And my experience in addiction is totally different from yours, is totally different from the next. And there's no typical quote-unquote addict and it's a great book so i've been learning a lot thanks to you for you know letting me borrow that all right um but anyway yeah that's no i don't know if you have anything else no i think that that's pretty awesome first i mean thanks for coming on and talking about this shit yeah because i you know i love having stuff like this i'm so hard to get people kind of in recovery to do podcasts I, I, f- I felt like it would be like an easier thing but it just it's a challenge sometimes man like it's always set up a date 
all right, yeah, yeah. Actually, can we do it another time? Blah, blah. And then yeah. finally that happens three or four times. And I've been trying to get this dude, who Ted, who's been on here once, once or twice before. And this girl who's like severe depression, mm-hmm. crazy depression. And it's just constant five times, I think, four or five times I've tried. I've scheduled a date. Mm-hmm. The last time I thought it was actually going to happen 24 hours before. No. Which I think, too, like in that case, she was struggling with something. And Sure. But yeah, well, so and I it's, mean, it's tough to get people on sometimes. As far as recovery. The, yeah. As far as the depression goes, though, I think we had scheduled or tried to schedule like after the January episode. There was a time that we had tried to schedule. And I just canceled because oh, I yeah, that was is true. so yeah. like I that should have been a red flag too. Like typically I was not canceling sessions with you, right? Like I think I've done like seven or eight of them so far. Yeah, no, I remember telling Christine. Yeah, I wonder what's going. Something's going on with Matt because I remember telling her that yeah. it was like he never keeps canceling uh, podcasts with right. me. So I mean. So, and that's, you know, you got to pay attention to your own red flags. Like being in a state of denial, I think is sometimes worse because you're literally ignoring every red oh, flag. Yeah. Well, that's what always scares me is it's scared the crap out of me in jail because you can believe something so much with your, all your being, every part of you can believe something and it can be completely false and completely wrong. Yeah. And that always has scared me, man, from when I first like dove into the power of how powerful the psyche is. It's Mm -hmm. like, oh, it's freaky. Yeah. You know what I've always wondered is like, how do you know whether to pronounce it psych or psyche? Aren't they spelled the same way? I don't know. What is psych? I don't even know. Is that a word? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Maybe. Oh, I didn't even think that was a word. (laughs) I thought it was just always psyche. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) You uneducated folk. I know, right? Someone <laughs> let us know how to pronounce that word. All right, Matthew. Well, thanks for uh, coming on. We'll have to yeah. uh, keep this series up, and we can just record your recovery from yeah. this, this relapse yeah. on. Again, I'm trying to be more honest and open, so yeah. let's do it. and I'm happy you're, uh, you're doing well, brother. Me too. So, Likewise. All right. all right, bro. I love you, man. Love you too, man. Peace. Peace.